0: mindfulness mode
1: i think it's very helpful to have a teacher
0: welcome mindful tribe welcome back to another episode of mindfulness mode i am looking forward to this episode so much because i'm here with a with a wonderful rock drummer she's a spiritual counselor a non-denominational minister at the foundation for the sacred stream and she's Uh, been known to use different modalities of depth hypnosis, which I'm looking forward to talking about. And uh, she's into shamanism, energy medicine, sound healing, morphic awakening, all kinds of things that we love to talk about here on Mindfulness Mode. So I'm here today with Clementine Moss. Clementine, are you in Mindfulness Mode today?
1: Uh, I believe I am. (laughs) (laughs) I am until something knocks me out of it and I become very, very active. But so far, so good today.
0: (laughs) Well, that's great. What does mindfulness mean to you, Clem?
1: Uh, Let's see. Well, it means so much. But um, mindfulness to me means being in that awareness where I'm fully present in my moments and I'm really, uh, there's a little part of me that's watching my reactions to the moment, watching the ways that I'm, um, that my mind out of fear or um, uneasiness is trying to pull me into judgment of the moment by looking at what happened in the past or anticipating the future. So um, it's, it's kind of a dichotomy of being both present right in the moment and also being a little bit back and watching myself in the moment.
0: Uh So Clem, you are the founder and drummer of Led Zeppelin Powerhouse, Zepperella, and you have such a busy career. And this is one of the fascinating things about you. How did you get to that point of being the founder and drummer in that band?
1: Well, um, you know, my music career um, is a strange one because I didn't start playing drums till I was 27 years old. And, um, and as we're on a mindfulness podcast, I'll say that, you know, that was around the same time that I went to my first silent meditation retreat 10 day silent retreat. Um, So uh, my music career and my meditation practice kind of converged, you know, in this big way around the age of 27. Um, And uh, as far as Zapparella goes, it's been around for about 20 years. Next year will be 20 years since our first show. And, um, you know, I'm a rock and roll drummer. uh, And John Bonham is my favorite rock and roll drummer, and as he is for many. And I thought, well, you know, I would really love to. I started so late. I didn't grow up in a basement you know, uh, rehearsal studio, learning all of my favorite songs, uh, I kind of just dove into playing with bands. So um, I thought it was a good opportunity for me to, to uh, hone my craft by learning his parts and doing it on stage uh, seemed to make sense. So that's kind of how it was all formulated.
0: And what a great title for a book, From Bonham to Buddha and Back. That's just <laughs> awesome. I'm sure that you've you've attracted a lot of, te- of attention to your book because of that title, right?
1: People, um, yeah, it's funny. You know, the, the music critics um, who have gotten the book have had a hard time because they, they see Bonham in a particular way. You know, mm-hmm. they see his personality. Um, and what I really speak to in the book is the... Um, the quality to his playing that I speak think speaks a lot to um, that open awareness we find in meditation.
0: Right right. The slow enlightenment of the hard rock drummer is your subtitle. <laughs> so how slow has this enlightenment been? <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's like any progress, right? It's like, you know, we get, we get, uh, it's fast and then slow, fast and then slow. It's the same yeah. with learning a musical instrument, you know, yeah. it's, we are at this, this, like plateau for a long time. And then one day we're like, Oh, I can do that now. You know, um, yeah. so um, I have had some big experiences, you know, of kind of sudden, uh, information you know downloads and then um, but for the most part it's a daily moment to moment practice isn't it that's that's really what mm-hmm, for sure What it is yeah
0: so are you saying you did not play the drums until you were 27 I think you said that that's
1: right. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: so that is quite an undertaking because playing the drums re- requires your brain to be two places at once, at least two, more than two, really. But playing the drums is a very challenging undertaking. How was that for you?
1: Well, um, you know, when I look at it from now, when I look at it now, I see that, um, that the drums are, have a resonance they're like they're just my instrument right Mm -hmm. i feel that everybody has their instrument that just makes sense to them and i think most of us give up you know uh finding that because so many instruments don't resonate in that way i had played piano uh guitar uh flute you know at different points in my childhood and i just uh, they were all a little bit of a chore i felt Mm -hmm. Um, When I started playing drums, it was pretty quickly where I thought this is when I came home and the drums were there that's kind of what I wanted to do, and that was the first time I felt that enthusiasm in that way. Um, And then you know it's funny because you know really devoting myself to meditation at around the same time I i see now that i was really responding in drumming like you said your mind has to be can be in all of these different places you know at least mm-hmm. in the four limbs Yeah. and so really what you need to do is put your mind in that center into which everything is rising and falling and yet you're not attaching yourself to any one thing if i think oh my left foot the pattern falls apart right yeah, so yeah um, my teacher at the time, this wonderful teacher in New York City, which is where I was living, um, Fred Klatz, he said, "You know where your mind needs to be. It needs to be in that place where you're looking all over your house for your glove, and then five minutes later you look down and it's been in your hand the whole time." <laughs> and that made a lot of sense to me. You know, it's yeah. not a spiritual way of saying it, but it kind of is that that awareness in which you're you're present and yet, Things are kind of coming in and out without you really focusing in on them. Um, And that's really what what spurred me on to write the book and the pieces in the book is that connection.
0: As a school music teacher, I just absolutely love the drums and I love introducing students to the drums and find that there are just certain students where it clicks. Some students, you know, they're fascinated by the drums, but it's just not really their thing. But there are some that just like they just grab a hold of it and it just can change their life completely. I'm just fascinated to know more about that silent retreat where it just transitioned you into that place where you realized that was for you. That was the place you needed to be
1: yeah well the the silent retreats are um you know they're vipassana meditation right insight Mm -hmm. meditation yeah and um you know they're run by a beautiful organization um the the originator of it is a teacher named sn goenka he's from burma and then went to india and from india started teaching on a small level and and it just kind of exploded around the world and you know, the beautiful thing about those retreats is that they're donation only everybody Mm -hmm. there, you can attend for just what you can afford to pay. And in those 10 days, everything is cared for for you, you have a place to be to sleep, you have um, people making sure that you're okay, you have, um, you know, the food, and um, it's really a great gift to the planet, they have many many centers all around the world I think in almost every country um and um and I you know I I think what was happening for me at the time I was always interested in in spiritual practice uh, or spiritual like contemplative ideas the big ideas Mm -hmm. um just especially started in literature and then um when I was in New York City I would walk by the um, the Zen Center the, uh, in, the, um, in the East Village and, um, and over the door uh, of this, this building, over the door of the Zen Center, it said, um, aha. And it was so intriguing to me. And so I went in um, to the Zen Center and, um, and went to a couple of the discourses, you know, in the evening and then the, the meditations. And it just made a lot of sense to me. And so, um, I started to go to that and then I, I was a waitress at the time and I was talking to a customer and he said, oh, if you're going to do any kind of meditation, you have to go to the source. You have to go to a, a 10 day meditation retreat. And so I did. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I did have a, a big experience in that first meditation retreat where I had that, that big opening that, that we hear about. Um, and, um, which was disruptive in certain ways in my life but um uh but uh it did i felt like i was supposed to be there i felt like i was supposed to do this work you know Um, even when they were talking about the the practice which is to observe sensation on the body you know starting at the top of the head moving down the body back up like that's the focal point of the meditation and Um, even in that, I, when we started, when he, I I learned it, I thought this is the same thing I was doing when I was a young child and trying to go to sleep at night. It was the exact same practice. So I thought, hmm, maybe there's something that I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to be here. So it, it felt profound in that way to me. Yeah.
0: Very interesting. And how many have you gone to since that time?
1: Uh, I've been to five total. Mm -hmm. I I would love to go to more. Actually, I get this yearning. But, you know, at this point in my life, it's really hard to take 10 days away. I'm running a business. You know, Zephyr is my main source of income, and um, it is hard to take that time away. Mm -hmm.
0: I can imagine. I'm interested in your thoughts on psychedelics, and I know that a lot of my listeners associate psychedelics with rock musicians and that kind of thing, although anybody and everybody has been involved in uh, experimenting with psychedelics. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah. Well, I, um, I have done uh, many psychedelics in my life. Um, and I always, uh, I think even you know in college when I first was um, doing some psychedelics, it was always to the point of understanding um, understanding myself. I, I'd never, the idea of doing a psychedelic and going to a big party or a rave or something sounded like that's not me. You know, I right. kind of always wanted information from it. Um, I now um, as in my um, practice, w- what I do now is um, I am trained to help people um, integrate their experience with psychedelics. Um, and I think psychedelics are very helpful uh, for us to um, to have a big experience, you know, a lot of people, the big experience does propel them into their um their seeking. Um, It can really um, help us to understand what does it mean when um, the self falls away and we become one with everything. Um, We can have those kind of experiences in psychedelics. However, what happens I think um, is that we live in a Western consumerist culture and we're used to going from experience to experience to experience and a, a kind of hunger gets created for the big experience rather than seeing it as maybe I do this once, which see, makes helps me to see the other side of my reality so that I can now find that within myself. Um, so I think for a lot of people, the psychedelic experience without proper guidance is very disruptive and, um, and uh, can lead to a lot of, um, can lead to a lot of, Nothing is wasted, of course, but a lot of really difficult paths for people. And I think when you're thinking about doing um, a psychedelic, um, knowing the profound impact that it might have on you and wanting to find a a teacher, someone who can help you find your own power within that experience. Not a teacher who's going to tell you what it means, Um, And now you have to give your power over to that teacher, right? Or over to the plant. But Mm -hmm. in order to um, find your own meaning within yourself, find your own power. And how does this move me towards um, the ultimate goal, I think, of spiritual practice, which is to be undefended, open my heart, and really see the other as myself so I can be of most service in the world? Clem, I want to
0: talk about energy patterns and I want to share a quote from your book. You said, humans must learn. They can instantly change their energy patterns into patterns of beauty. Humans cling to angles where really roundness would be more fulfilling and aligned with true nature and then you go on to talk about how even furniture and architecture would help people more if it was more circular and flowing. And I really enjoyed so many aspects of your book, but this this aspect of energy patterns, can you share a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, I'll say that that quote that you just read is from uh, my teacher, Saria Dean. Um, she's been a mentor of mine since I was in my very early 20s. Um, she's a um, an energy. Uh, she works with, um, I don't know that she would call herself an energy healer. But um, I think that's the best way for us to, to kind of understand she's a, a spiritual teacher. And, um, and I love that quote. So I, I included in, in the book and, and it means a lot to me. Um, you know, when I started studying shamanism um, with a teacher in Berkeley, California named Isa Gucciardi, um, who developed that, um, that modality depth hypnosis. Um, uh, you know, shamanism is, um, has a lot to do with energy, right? Um, you know, a shaman is someone who translates the, the less the messages from the natural world to the community. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they're looking at the natural world, both Mm -hmm. this, Natural world and the uh, the natural world that we're not seeing right the energetic world. Um, And so there is a lot of training in energy energy medicine. Um, Now um, my experience of it and the way that I understand it is that when I um, see things as energy um i'm one being grounded in myself feeling my own physical experience um, of what i'm experiencing and i'm i feel that um, we all have these little antenna of um of understanding of energy and we know this when we walk into a room and it just doesn't feel right And it's not because we don't dislike the people in the room. It's because there's something off or Mm -hmm. there are some times where I see people um, and I almost feel this energy of them um, hunching over because they've been harmed in the world. And they're they almost have an energetic shell that they're waiting for the next almost next blow. Right. And I think it starts by becoming aware of our own internal, uh, energetic system and the ways that we respond very subtly to our experience. Um, and then I think the world begins to open up to us, um, in training ourselves to be aware of that, to be able to have those kind of, um, uh, those kind of that antenna that makes us um hyper aware of what's happening around us i think that that might be why you know there are people who are diagnosed as highly sensitive right and i think Mm -hmm. it really is energy that they're connected with you know a shaman is looking at the energy of the earth and you know there's a, a energy that that pushes the plant up through the soil you know there's an energy that um that that is behind the murmurations you know the birds all moving together this this is energy and Mm -hmm. um and i also love to think about the fact that we are a collection of molecules and um and vibrations and when you go into the you know the scientific you know uh there's waves and energy that are the same thing right so Mm -hmm. um so yeah i think um I think that we all have this within us and um, how we describe it might be different, but um, I think we're all very tuned into the energy around us. Um, And for me, I think that my job is to connect to as much of my positive intention, my positive energy, you know, my, my intentions have energy and that energy moves out from me. And affects the people that I'm with, and so the more that I can sit in meditation and and connect to that that vibration of um, of that uh, what I would call maybe that love vibration of love at the base of everything. That's how I see um, beingness is. Uh, we're based on, in love. The more I can find that energy within my my own personal practice, the more that I can offer that when I when I meet the other in the world, and I feel like that's my purpose. Yeah. Right,
0: right. I want to ask you about your training as a non-denominational minister at the Foundation for the Sacred Stream. Why did you decide to do that, and how has that training helped you? And what have you done with it?
1: Yeah. Well, um, you know, this, the foundation of the sacred stream, again, the teacher is Gucci and she developed um, depth hypnosis, which is uh, it's a modality, a uh, healing modality that combines, um, uh, Western psychological method, especially transpersonal psychology, which understands that spirit is a part of the healing journey along with the mental, um, and Tibet, buddhism especially tibetan buddhism because tibetan buddhism has a great um has a tradition of uh shamanism within it so there's a lot of light and sound healing um in that and then traditional shamanism which she spent years studying and um and uh using shamanic traditional shamanic techniques in a therapeutic setting right so that's the the modality of depth hypnosis and so Um, I started learn, I, I started the modality. I went, I'd come out of a contemplative psychotherapy program. Somebody mentioned shamanism and I thought, well, my, I feel like I, I was kind of uh, trying to figure out how everything fit together. And so I went to a, a depth hypnosis practitioner and I, I was like, I just want to ask, you know, how this fits together. And I walked out of there and I thought, oh, there's some personal things that this might really help me with. And so I started um, uh, the therapy and I, I found such a great relief of this negative internal voice that I had that I decided to start to study it. And then so I studied depth hypnosis and then I um, and became a practitioner and then um, At the same time, I became very interested in the applied shamanism program there. And so I, I got that certificate and then the plant medicine certification and the energy, you know, I kind of like, I just everything aligned with where I felt I had been coming in my spiritual practice and a way for me to tangibly help others. And, you know, as a musician, I'd always felt very um, selfish, you know, here I'm doing this thing that. Um, you know, I love so much and I, how am I really helping the world? I mean, I believe, you know, art is vitally important to our spirit, but, you know, I still felt like I could be doing more and this was Mm -hmm. giving me an opportunity to be more of service in the world. Mm -hmm. And so at the final, you know, at the, the kind of ultimate, um, uh, thing to do at the sacred stream is to become a minister at the sacred stream. And, um, and so it involved a lot of study um, of all of the different religions. It was like a religious studies course. Um, and, um, and then I became a minister uh, and I, um, you know, the first thing I did was I married one of my best friends, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is really lovely. And, um, you know, I was trained in creating ceremony and um, I hope that as I age, as I get older, I, I hope that I get called on to create more ceremony for people, ceremony for, especially for um, teens moving into puberty. You know, that's a, a big period of, of transition. And I think there are really interesting um, ceremonies that could be created for, for children at that time. So, you know, the, uh, it's not that I. Um, I take it very seriously to be a minister in that uh, my job is to know myself more and more and more so I can be more and more of service, yeah.
0: Very interesting. Yeah, well, I wanted to ask you, I know you're so busy with your band and with your rock and roll drumming and everything. Do you have a roster of clients? Do you have people you work with on a regular basis with all these modalities?
1: I do, I do. Okay. And it's it's funny, when I, um, when I was you know, studying and practicing and and becoming certified in these things, I had this big plan about, you know, how my, how my client, how I was going to, you know, bring clients to me and how I was going to set up my business and all of these things. And as soon as I became certified, my creative life just started blossoming. Um, Songwriting Mm. happened and my music career really um, picked up and my writing, you know, the book, just kind of came out of me and um and I've heard that you know as we as a lot of the people go through the program what ends up happening is their their true um expression gets amplified and that was what was happening to me and so I don't have a ton of clients it's not like I'm working five hours a day but I have Um, I have clients that, um, I've worked with for a while and, um, Mm -hmm. and then, um, it's also something that I, I can offer to, um, you know, people in my life when they're going through a difficult time to do a session and, and to help work out some things.
0: Yeah. When a client first, uh, reaches out to you, what is the process like? What are some of the first steps that you undertake?
1: Well, yes. First, I make sure that they really understand what they're getting into, you know, Um, and um, and that you don't need to have you don't need to be a Buddhist. You don't need to be uh, to believe in shamanism. You don't need to have a particular set of beliefs in order to do the work. And the way that I I explain it is that this is working with our own internal metaphoric system. I might say, okay. I might say, all right, we're you're seeing something, maybe we address it as a past life, you know, because we do mm-hmm. past life regression is is in this. You don't have to believe in a past life. You can see it as as your mind showing you an image of something that is resonant for you that you might not be able to look at straight on in this life, right? And you don't have to believe in a past life. You can see it as a metaphor of something that's being shown to you. You don't have to believe that we're going into alternate reality when we do, a, a, you know, um, when we go into a shamanic journey, which is triggered by a, a, the sound of a drum, right? So it's like a deep meditative state. Um, you don't have to believe that, you're, um, that you have guides that are, um, uh, that are from the outside of you coming in to help you can understand that whatever you're seeing is a part of yourself that's there to help you right Right. so if you have your guide as a bear well that bear means what it means to you and you don't have to think that it's something you know esoteric or from the outside um so that's one reason I really chose that modality to work in because you know, working with metaphor—I mean, I'm a writer, so that makes a lot of sense to me. And when I study, have studied different um, spirituality, uh, spiritual practices, religions—you know—I see a lot of it as metaphoric. And I think that does—that does, that does di- you know, that's different than than taking it as, you know, the the literal word. And um, and that's the way that I I see things. So it makes sense to me.
0: Right. Yes. Clem, I know you do a lot of writing for other people, composing songs for other people. And it said that you're able to, in an incredible way, capture the right voice for each person that you're working for. How do you do that? Can you, are you able to put that into words?
1: Well, uh, let's see. This might be the writer in me. And did the writer come first or did this ability come first? But, um, you know, being a, an extremely empathetic person, mm-hmm. I've always had a sense that I could put myself into somebody's experience. Um, and I think um, I think that's why I'm a writer. And I think it comes from, you know, they say that, that kids... Um, You know, with certain experiences in their childhood, they become highly sensitive to the feelings and the impulses of people around them and um, and that's certainly me. So Mm -hmm. um, when I'm writing uh, for somebody's experience, I mean, what a what a perfect way to do that, you know, for for us to have a conversation and then for me to become them in a Mm -hmm. way as I'm writing. Um, And that is a writer, you know, I think that is a writer.
0: Yeah. Who are some of the people you've written for?
1: Uh, oh gosh, well, um, the um, uh, there's a, a man named Mike Dorf, Uh I always say his name wrong. Um, he has a band called Tusk, and he was the first person that I really explored that with. That was really um, that was really a powerful experience. Um, mm-hmm knowing that oh wow you know what i wrote he you know him saying wow that you've you've gotten in my head like how did you know that um and that was um i think that was the very first so yeah that Mm -hmm. was that was great
0: cool Cool. Well, I want to ask you a question about bullying. I don't know whether you've ever experienced that or you have a story that you can share with us. I've worked in this field for some time and I am always interested how bullying dovetails with mindfulness. Do you have a story that you can share with us in this area?
1: I do. Yeah, I was bullied. Um, I was bullied in junior high school. I was I grew very quickly. I was I'm five, eight and I was five, eight in junior high school. And um, I was the tallest student and I was uh, taller than some of my teachers. See, right. So and I was gawky and um, I had goofy hair. And um, and so I had kind of come from an elementary school where I was, you know, the the president of the student council and the, you know, kind of the celebrated person. And then I got into junior high school and got bullied uh, by oh, other yeah. girl, by other girls. Um, mm-hmm. It was very painful and a big shock to me that people were cruel that way. Um, mm-hmm. And um, and I retreated into myself. And um, and so, you know, that stays with you. You know, and I see the way that I'm. All, I've always been. Um, you know, it's fear, right? Fear of of judgment. Um, I think around that time was when that that internal negative voice became a megaphone within me, and um, it's been something I've fought or tried to understand through my whole life. Now, do I see a benefit of that experience? Quite a bit. You know it first of all it drove me to understanding myself in uh psychology and spiritual practice and um you know seeking um spiritual seeking i mean that was the point of it It was to try to figure out where is this coming from what is this where is my value Um, those moments where i felt like maybe i didn't even want to be here um, where would i go right (laughs) you know all of those things. It was a benefit, but I I don't wish it on anybody. And it was, you know, it's something that stays with you your whole life. And those, uh, it will always be with me, I think, that bullying. How mindfulness, I think, would work is in that situation. And why I think children um, should be guided to understand their internal world is because, um, you know, once you Once you're in that space of mindfulness and you recognize all of the negativity all of the judgment how each thought of yourself is a judgment um, judging against the past judging against what might be. um, You know, all of the ways that we take ourselves out of the moment and are unsettled in our moments, we begin to feel kind toward ourself wow i've been living with this you know, and this is my internal life. And um, hopefully we get to a place of self compassion in that. Um, and I think the more we open to that wider awareness within us, we realize that field is compassionate. And, um, and then we, we become compassionate to ourselves, And then what happens is we can't help but become empathetic and compassionate to the other. That is the point of these practices. Um, We think of it as um, self-improvement, you know, um, trying to achieve something within ourselves, which is all fine and good. But the ultimate goal is really to be um, to be completely undefended with other people, to be most of service to other people while also being of service to ourselves. And um, and that is the you know, when you can feel another's pain, you can't bully them. <laughs> right, and, true. and when you're bullied, you can see, I can look at those girls and I can see what they were afraid of. I can yeah. see where it was coming from. It, it opens empathy and it's only an empathy. It's only a compassion that problems get solved.
0: Right, right. I know you love dogs and you have Henry the pug. What <laughs> has Henry taught you about mindfulness? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I've certainly tuned in. He's a he's 16 years old now and he gets a little bit, uh, his body surprises him and surprises us these days. So I'm yeah. very tuned in to his little tiny signals yeah. um, of oh, what's about to happen, what's about to come out of him. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh but yeah what um what would it be like to be loved unconditionally what if what if unconditional love is at the the basis of reality what if that is there and we get to see that in the the love of our pets it's unconditional yeah
0: yeah absolutely (laughs) yeah Clem I want to ask you five quick answer questions as we move forward. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this, who is one person that has been an incredible mindfulness influence to you in your
1: life? Incredible mindfulness um, person. Um, hmm. Gosh, Well, I mean, it would have to be my teacher S.N. Goenka who taught me the, you know, the the meditation um, of being able to look at um, my the physical sensation of my upper lip. You know, <laughs> what happens now? What happens in two minutes? How does it change? That re- recognition that everything changes in every second. So, yeah.
0: Interesting yeah. mm-hmm. let's talk about your emotions and how your emotions have well, how you deal differently with your emotions as a result of mindfulness
1: mm-hmm. I have that observer um, within me that watches things rising and fall, not falling now for a while uh, for many years in my life, I thought that, Uh, Mindfulness was so that we didn't have to feel our emotions anymore. We didn't have to be in that, um, I realized, is a ignorance within us. Um, We're supposed to feel fully. But if I feel sorrow fully, but I don't say I am a sad person, it's two different things. Do I identify with the emotions or do I allow myself to feel it fully? Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. Let's talk about Breathing. Any thoughts, any ideas about breathing and how that is related to mindfulness?
1: Ah, breathing is the great gift. Yeah, it is. it's the great gift. Yeah, it, um, you know, the deep breath, the holding of the breath, the holding the bottom of the breath. Um, all of those are wonderful techniques for us to turn on our parasympathetic nervous system, to quiet the mind, to let the body know it's safe. So the, the thoughts of fear that are constantly rising from our, um, our physicality um, quiet down, um, and we can access that uh, that that awareness un- underneath all the thoughts.
0: I really appreciate your book, From Bonham to Buddha and Back. Are there any other books that you would recommend in this space?
1: There are a lot of really beautiful books, and I love books of people where people are talking about their experience of coming to Spirituality, um, you know, autobiography of a yogi is always a really fun to just kind of see where, um, you know, some of our, our modern ideas kind of uh, entered into um, the American idea, right? Because mm-hmm. um, um, he came to America and I think to uh, 1919 maybe. And so it was kind of like this, this big wave kind of opened up with his right. And it it shows you this the the way that we were um that the guru relationship kind of originated right um and then um i really love uh christian sunberg um he wrote a really lovely book um about um about spiritual practice about spirituality it's called a walk in the physical and um he's i just loved that book it it was very meaningful to me and i don't know that i can really tell you you know about uh, Mm -hmm. what it is i think people should just pick it up and read it okay um i um i really loved um i i love anything from alan watts okay yes um, especially his lectures which you can get on audible. You can, they have like, you know, volumes of his lectures where he's speaking it himself. Um, and, and all of his books, I just, I don't know. He, he, he speaks to me a lot. Um, and let's see, Robert Thurman. Um, you know, when I started um, trying to figure out, like, what's the difference between Buddhism and Hinduism? And granted, I had been meditating for 20 years before I started asking those kind of questions. So I kind of was just doing the practice without knowing, am I, is this Theravada? Is this Mahayana? Like, I had no idea what I was doing. I just was doing it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I started listening to Robert Thurman, um, and he has a lot of lectures. He has a podcast where he has all of his college lectures on there. And I just started mm. listening, and he started explaining what where these concepts came from. And I thought that was really um, – that's really helpful. Um, and then, yeah, I think that's probably a good place for people sure. to start, right? Sure. Oh. Yeah,
0: and I was just going to ask you about an app if there was any app that you recommend and, and uh, even that podcast of Robert Thurman's is something that I could put on the show notes about that. Is there anything else that pops into your mind?
1: Uh, Let's see. Well, um, I, I've never listened to an app for mindfulness. Um, Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I think that Alan Watts, Robert Thurman, I think those are really helpful. Um, There's, um, yeah, there's a uh, Sacred Stream has a lovely podcast where they interview a lot of people um, mm-hmm. who, of modern, you know, modern people who've written books, um, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, uh, yeah.
0: Okay, I'll check that out and I'll put it in our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. So, So, Yeah, great. That's, that's awesome. So as we wrap up the interview, Clem, I want to ask you if you have any final words of advice for our listeners. Maybe somebody's kind of struggling, somebody's wanting to get more into this mindfulness space. What would your words of advice be?
1: Um, well, I guess I have a lot of them, but um, the first one is, you know, I think it's very helpful to have a teacher when you're starting off in meditation and the things to look for in a good teacher are is are somebody who empowers you, who guides you to find your own way, your own understanding and not that you don't need to put your power in somebody else's hands that it's really important that someone is there to lift you up to help you find your own um information while they're also instructing you on different ways that you might be able to to reach that um and so you know that's that's one thing and the second thing is a little more esoteric but i i love the idea that what if you're just okay as you are what if you don't need to get better what if you don't need to be better what if you're fundamentally good and okay you know i spent most of my life thinking i was fundamentally bad that there was something Mm -hmm. fundamentally wrong with me what if that's not true and what i'm trying to do is remember that that is my essence, the essence of me, the essence of the other. and, um, and, and so any teacher that, that, that starts with that um, I think is is the way to go. Yeah.
0: Wow. Clementine, I know why people rave about your book and I now know how why people rave about how you communicate in person. So thank you so much for being on Mindfulness Mode.
1: Thank you so much, Bruce. Thanks for all of the great questions. Yeah.
0: My pleasure. All the best to you. Bye now.
1: Okay, thank you.
0: Hey, Mindful Tribe. Thanks for joining us today. And I want to thank my sponsor, Athletic Greens. They have a product called AG1. And I can tell you that this is a terrific product. It contains 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source ingredients and probiotics. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy free or gluten free, this will work for you. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No GMOs, no nasty chemicals, no artificial ingredients. It supports better sleep and better alertness. Athletic Greens uses the best products based on the latest science and it costs less than $3 a day. So here's a special offer for you Mindful Tribe. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash mindfulness and with that take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm focus and happiness stay in the mode